0: So if you were with us on Good Friday, and you went through the Good Friday experience, as you recall, as you went through, the second to the last station that you went through was a model of the holy place. You walked into it, it was down the connector between the two buildings, and it was a model of the holy place of the temple that stood, at, it stood in Jerusalem when Jesus ministered. And in that station, um, there was this veil, this curtain, it was on the far, so- the far end of it. And then in front of the veil, there was this is because this is what would have scripturally told us was in the holy place, and then on the other side of the curtain was the holy of holies, and on this side of the temple of the veil was a lampstand that that gave light and it had a perpetual flame. And it was reminding the people of Israel that um that God was God was the flame, but also it had to be tended every day. That every day they had to go in and, and fill the oil and, and, uh, trim the wicks. And I, I really believe the imagery of that is God saying, my presence is here, but you need to stay connected to me. And so a, the lampstand was in there. Um, also there was the altar of incense, the, the smelling, the, the aroma of the Lord. And there was the table of showbread. And there was, so there's 12 loaves of bread or 12, like, pitas that were there. Um, unleavened bread to, to symbolize the presence and the, and the, the provision of the Lord. And those items that were there were symbolic to Jewish worship. Matter of fact, on a daily basis, the priests had to go into the holy place on this side of the veil and had to maintain those items. Once a week they ate the bread, but every day they had to tend the flame and they had to light the incense so that the the aroma would go up and would go over the top of the curtain into the most holy place. But there was this barrier that God designed the temple. God's the one who told Moses in the tabernacle, and the the temple was built based on the tabernacle, to, to build this this way, that he built it where the priest could enter the holy place, but there was a barrier, a veil, a curtain, that separated those items of worship from the holy of holies. Because on the other side of the veil, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is, was this, this box that had cherub on top of it. It's called the mercy seat on top. And it represented the presence of God. As a matter of fact, actually, God dwelt with his presence in the Holy of Holies. And the priests were only allowed to go past that curtain one day a year on the Day of Atonement, and they would offer sacrifices for the sins of all the people and then sprinkle the blood to represent a sacrifice for the sins of all the people. So the veil was designed by God to be a barrier between all the people and the presence of the Lord. But something amazing happened on Good Friday. What happened on Good Friday when Jesus died on the cross with the veil? The veil was torn in half. See, we have a, a, our idea of the veil here, and it's in two pieces, but their veil was one solid piece, all woven together. But on Good Friday, the veil was torn in half from top to bottom, and the veil was opened. And it's incredibly symbolic why God did that. So I want you to grab your Bibles. We're going to, we're going to look at something about the veil this morning and, and a message that God is trying to communicate to us. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to read about this right now. And we're going to, we're going to learn something, I hope, that that's going to affect our lives today from something that God said over 2,000 years ago. So Matthew chapter 27. Got your powered up there. Bible's open, Matthew 27, verses 50 to 53 says this. And Jesus cried out again, so he's on the cross right now. He's on the cross. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So at that moment, Jesus died. In verse 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, in other words, they had died and were buried, were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city, Jerusalem, and appeared to many. Look at this. When Jesus breathed his last breath, the temple veil was torn in half. Not only that, when he rose from the dead three days later, a whole bunch of dead saints got out of their graves and started walking around Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but that would be pretty, be pretty scary. That would tell me something real is going on here. That would be, that would be pretty, uh, a, a pretty amazing thing to see a bunch of dead people coming out and walking around Jerusalem. The veil, though, was torn in half from top to bottom. The barrier that separated the people, the veil, the people from the presence of God was removed. See, God was screaming something to you and me on that Good Friday through the torn veil. He was saying this, Jesus, his death, opens the way for life lived in the presence of God. That's what the message was being spoken. When he tore the veil, before that God had designed it that that the priest could be on one side, the veil could be here, the presence of God was on the other, and Jesus died and the veil was torn in half and God was screaming a message to all the world that Jesus' death opens the way for a life lived in the presence of God. So the rest of the story, we talked about the rest of the story from, from Good Friday, the rest of the story from Good Friday is that there is now no separation between man and God. That through Jesus, everybody and anybody can come into the presence of God. We don't need temples. We don't need priests. We don't need um, uh, the, the candlesticks that were burning, the, the, the lamps. We don't need the showbread. We don't need the incense. We don't need the Ark of the Covenant. We don't need any of those things anymore. We just need Jesus. And the scripture explains this really clearly. Take your Bibles and flip over for a minute, to the book of Hebrews. And look what it says, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. It's going to talk about this right here, the veil being torn, and what it means, and how Jesus symbolizes it. 10 verses 19 to to 22 we're going to read. Look what it says here. Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and a living way which he inaugurated or started for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, which is Jesus, let us draw near with sincere hearts and full assurance of of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's he talking about? He says, now we are. Enter the holy place. God's presence by the blood of Jesus. By the flesh being torn of Jesus. It says that his flesh, Jesus' flesh, was the veil that was torn. That Jesus becomes the way into the presence of God. That when Jesus died and he rose again, he paid for all the sins of all mankind and he broke the chains of sin and death that had held mankind captive and separated from God, that he tore apart, he broke down the wall that separated God and man. And that's the message that he was shouting when he tore the veil in the temple in half. He's saying this, no more separation. Jesus' death opens the way for a for a life lived in the presence of God. Sometimes we get messed up and we think, oh, you know what, our religion is just a little different than their religion. That they had priests and they had temples and they had all this stuff and they had this form of worship. And we think, oh, we have kind of the same thing. No, we don't have anything at all the same. We don't need any of this to come into the presence of God. We only need Jesus. Jesus' door opens the way for a life lived in the presence of God. Now, God uses all of this so we can raise kids up and we can teach and we can do all the wonderful things we do. He uses this, but the only thing we need to live in the presence of God is a relationship with Jesus because Jesus is God. Now, think of this. Knowing that truth, that, that, that message that Good Friday was shouting, the veil's torn. There's now no more separation. Knowing this, shouldn't that bring us to a question? Shouldn't there be a natural question that we would ask ourselves based about this, based on this? And this is the question it brings to my mind. Well then, what does life lived in the presence of God look like? Since it's not about temples and priests and offerings, what is it now? What does the life lived in the presence of God look like now well I believe we can get a great idea of what God intends for life in his presence to look like by looking at what Jesus said on the very first Easter morning to two, to two ladies named Mary two Marys that went to the tomb and then um, Jesus spoke to them and he told them some, some things and he said and I'm going to tell you some more stuff so let me set the scene for us. Jesus was dead. He had hung on the cross. They had taken him down. They would stabbed a spear in his side. He was dead. Good Friday was real. They had buried him in a tomb and they would rolled a huge rock over the entrance of that tomb. And those who loved him were heartbroken and they were defeated. But early on Sunday morning, the first Easter, The two Marys went to the tomb. And let's look at what happened. Flip back to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Look what happened on that first Easter morning. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, says this. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and he rolled away the stone, and he sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They passed out. Verse five, and the angel said to the women, "Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen." Just as he said, come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And they ran to report it to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them and they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me. We'll stop right there. We're going to look at something else in just a moment, but we'll stop right there. Jesus wasn't dead. He's alive. And friends, the message that Easter speaks to us is, he wasn't dead then, and he's not dead now. That Jesus is just as alive right now as he was then. That he's alive and he's real. And look what he said in verse 10. Verse 10, have you ever read, anybody have a red letter Bible here? You see that verse 10 is in red, saying that these are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, before we go on, let's see what else he had to say because it all ties together to what's life in the in the presence of God look like. In verse ten, he said he said this. He said um, one thing. He said, "Go to Galilee, and you'll meet me there." What did he say in Galilee? Look just a few verses over. If you have a red letter Bible, just look at the next page or the same page and look at at verse chapter twenty eight, verses eighteen to twenty. You see that they're in red also. See that? So these are the other words that Jesus spoke. We'll start reading in verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and he spoke to them saying this. This is Jesus' words. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. Hear me today. I believe that in these two post-resurrection quotes from Jesus, the words of Jesus, we can find the answers To what does life lived in the presence of God look like? You see, he tore the veil, and now this is what he says, it's not about, it's not about temple worship anymore, it's not about sacrifices anymore. He says, this is what life in my presence is now life. He tore the veil and he says, listen, this is what matters now. And I'm gonna summarize those two sections in red that we looked at, with five statements. We're just going to talk about them all really quickly because of the five statements that I think divine for us what does life in his presence look like today. So I'll tell you the statements and we're going to go through them one by one real quickly. So they're this. These are, I think, the five statements. Do not be afraid. I am in charge. Welcome everyone into the family. Let love rule. And I am always with you. We're going to talk about those for a moment. Life in the kingdom of God... Life in the presence of God looks like this, according to the last words of Jesus. Number one, do not be afraid. The two Marys were afraid. Can you imagine? They just saw an angel sitting on a rock in blazing white clothes. Then they saw Jesus, who they knew was dead. They watched him die. They knew he was put in a tomb. And all of a sudden, they're sitting there from weeping and wanting to prepare him for burial... To seeing angels and Jesus alive and they were afraid and you would be afraid too. I don't care how tough you think you are. You and I would be afraid too. So they're afraid. And what does Jesus say to them in their fear? He, matter of fact, he says to them the most common phrase he says throughout all the Bible. Do not be afraid. Or fear not. The same thing. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Church, when we live in the reality of the presence of the risen savior, We don't ever need to be afraid. Why? Because of statement number two. The next statement says this. I am in charge. Look what Jesus said here. Little different words, that's what he's saying. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, he's saying this. He's looking at his disciples and going, listen guys, I'm the boss. I am in charge. Jesus is in charge of everything. He has a plan. He is working out his plan. And believe it or not, whether you know it or not, you are part of his plan. Therefore, he's in charge of you. He is caring for you. He is calling you if you don't know him. He is loving on you. He is providing for you. Everybody do something with me this morning. Take a deep breath in. And let it out. You have air to breathe because Jesus created you with lungs, and he gave us the exact right mixture of oxygen for us to read, to breathe, to live. Jesus is caring for you. So think of it. Why should we ever be afraid if we know that he is in charge of everything? Think of the things you're afraid of. Think of all the things that happen in your life that you're afraid of and I'm afraid of. If we know that he's in charge and he's caring for us and he's taking care of it all, do we have to be afraid? Not really. No. Because he has a plan. And we're part of his plan. We never really need to be afraid if we know that he's in charge of everything. But if I'm living in the kingdom of Mark and you're living in the kingdom of you, guess what? There's some things you should probably be afraid of. Because if you're going one way and God's going another, guess what? He's providing, he's offering care and a great plan for you. But if we're not living in it, then we're just on our own. But if I am living in the kingdom of God, living in line with the risen Savior. Not perfect, matter of fact, make mistakes all the time, err, stray, do all these things, but if I'm living with Jesus and saying yes to Jesus in my life, that if he's in charge of everything, if, if I believe for him, he's in charge of everything, and I don't need to be afraid. So that's that's part of what living in the kingdom looks like. It's it's understanding that 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 he's in charge, and I don't have to worry about it. Don't fear. But look what else Jesus says is part of living in in the reality of his risenness and his kingdom. He says, welcome everyone into the family. Welcome everyone into the family. Look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Do you know what this is really ultimately talking about? This word, inclusion. Verse 19 speaks of inclusion. Go and tell everyone everywhere about Jesus and then what should you do to them, for them? Baptize them? Go tell everybody and baptize them. Baptism is about inclusion. People think sometimes that church is about exclusion. you got to be a certain kind of person to come to church. That's the exact opposite message that the veil expresses. The exact opposite message that Jesus teaches. He says his last words here to these people. Listen, go tell everybody about me and baptize them. He said, go tell everybody about me and include them, welcome them into the family of God. We just did some water baptisms here a couple of Sundays ago. When we did that, it's a glorious event. It's fun. We all clap. We all have a a wonderful time doing it. And when we did that, as a church, we were saying something to the people who were baptized. You know what we were saying? You're part of our family now. We welcome you into the family of God. You're, you're included. You're baptized. You're one of us. Jesus said, go to all the nations, everywhere, anyone, to everyone, and tell them they are welcome in the family of God. That's the New Testament. Jesus saying, I tore the veil, and everyone anywhere is welcome In my family. He tore the veil, the dividing wall, and he said, this isn't just anymore for Jewish people. Do you know, before, this was a Jewish thing. This was the nation of Israel thing. Matter of fact, if you were not a Jew, you couldn't even come into certain places in the, in the exterior of the temple. You weren't welcome. It was called the court of the Gentiles. So who in here is, who in here is non-Jewish? Raise your hand if you're non-Jewish. Okay, it's alright to raise your hand in church. Okay? If you're non-Jewish, guess what? You weren't welcome. But the veil was torn. It's saying this isn't for Jewish people anymore. This isn't for wealthy people. This isn't for perfect people. That the family of God is for all people. All people are welcomed into the family of God. All people can come to Jesus as their Savior and find forgiveness and freedom in Him. Young, old, rich, poor, Anyone and everyone in this place this morning is welcome in the family of God. You know what I hear a lot of times when people come, especially on holidays? Sometimes some people come and maybe you're here today and maybe not, but you came you came because somebody invited you and you say this to the person that invited you. Well, I really can't go to church. If I go there, the building will burn down. How many has ever heard somebody say that? Come on. Oh, the roof will fall in. The building will burn down. Let me tell you something, friend. Everyone is welcome in the family of God. The roof, the roof's still standing. It's not on fire. Everyone is welcome in the family of God. Why? Because Jesus makes this possible. He tore the veil that separated humanity from his presence. And he sent his first words through Jesus were, now go get everybody everywhere. Tell everybody that they're welcome in my family. And once they're all welcome, what else did he say to them? What was the next thing? Let love rule. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Teaching them to, Jesus says, listen, teach these other people that you bring into the family to observe all that I've commanded you. So if we had to summarize what Jesus taught in his three years of public ministry, we could probably summarize it with this statement. Let love rule. One day, some religious leaders came to Jesus and they said, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important rule that we need to follow? And he simply said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You know what he was saying? He was saying, let love rule. Another day, Jesus was surrounded by a group of people and he preached the greatest sermon by the greatest preacher ever preached. And it's recorded for us in Matthew. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And do you know how you could really summarize the entire Sermon on the Mount? With three words. Let love rule. He said things like this. Not only should you not murder. He says the law says don't murder. He says, I tell you, don't even speak evil of another person. He says, love each other. Don't hate each other. He says, let love rule. He says, he he deals with things that that are hard. Things like adultery. He says, don't commit adultery. He says, but not only don't commit adultery. He says, you shouldn't even objectify another person. You should not even have a lustful thought or action towards another person because you recognize how, how wonderfully made in the presence of God and the image of God they are. You should love them instead of objectifying them. He's saying, let love rule. He says, you've been taught an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, if I punch you in the nose, you can punch me in the nose back. He says, that's what you've been taught is the, is the law. He says, but I'm telling you this if somebody slaps you in the right cheek. Turn and let him slap you on the left. What's he saying? Let love rule. He says, give to the poor. Don't judge. In other words, let love rule. If we want to summarize what Jesus taught, it's simply this. Let love rule. Life in his presence is about a life lived, ruled by the love of God. So he says, tell everybody. Welcome in the family and tell them, now let's just love one another. Let love rule. Then he says one final thing. He says and listen, I'm with you always. I'm alive and I'm with you always. What's life live in the presence of God look like? It's knowing that he is always with us. You want to know the truth today? You could be sitting in church this morning surrounded by hundreds of people and still feel alone. It happens all the time. You can be sitting in a crowd. You can be sitting at a concert with a with 100,000 people. And feel alone. You can be at work surrounded by all your coworkers and still feel alone. This is the message of Jesus. You are never alone because God is here. Jesus is not dead. He is alive and He is here for each and every one of us in this place today. No matter what you're walking through, Jesus is here. No matter how far you think you've strayed, Jesus is here and his arms are wide open. And he's saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Friends, that's the Easter message. Jesus is alive and he's here for you. And friends, I want you to know, no matter where you're at in your life right now, no matter if, if you've been thinking about Jesus every day and walking in the reality of his presence or you've known about Christ in the past and you've gone off path for a while because maybe you were hurt, maybe you misunderstand some things, maybe people that were in the church world hurt you and failed you and you say, well, if that's what they're like, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, you need to understand something. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus is alive and he's here right now by his spirit and he loves you. And he wants you to be in the family of God. He's still preaching the same message he did on that morning. He's welcoming you into the family. Now maybe, just possible, some of us haven't yet come into a relationship with Jesus. Or we've walked away from him. The summary of this whole message is he is here. And he is saying you're welcome into his family. And he is saying, don't be afraid because I'm in charge. Come and accept his love today. That's what he's saying. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? Let's just just end our time together. It's Easter morning with a time of prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, where we are just having a private time. Right now, you are surrounded by people, but I just want you to remember that right now, it's you and Jesus. He's here for you. And he's here with you. And as we're gathered in this place, the same message that he spoke to the two Marys on Easter morning is just as true. He's saying, don't be afraid. I'm in charge. I welcome you into my family so that you can live a life of love and I'm with you. That's what he's speaking to us this morning. And just maybe you're in this place and you've not come to experience that or you've experienced it in the past and you've drifted away. I can't think of a better Easter present for anybody on the planet than for you to say, you know what, Pastor Mark? I want to come back to Jesus, because I've drifted away. Or, you know what, Pastor Mark? I want to come to Jesus today, and I want to just say, I need you. I don't even know what that all means, but I need you. I want you in my life. I do feel alone. I do feel distant. My heart's not filled with love. It's filled with hate. It's filled with resentment. It's filled with guilt. And I want it gone. I want a brand new life in Jesus. I want the chains broken. I want freedom in my life. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. It's a private moment between you and God. If you're today saying, you know what, Pastor Mark? I want to say yes to Jesus. Yes to the resurrected Jesus who's alive and well. I want to say yes to Him today. And I want to open up my life and I want to ask Him to be the Lord of my life and Savior of my world. If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to do something. And I promise you this, I will not embarrass you in any way. I will not. Matter of fact, it's not to do with me. It's only that I want to give you an opportunity to respond in a tangible way that says yes. This is for you. That you want to say yes. Because you want your life to be different. So if you're saying, I want to come back to Jesus or I want to come to Jesus for the first time, I'm going to ask you to do something as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I want you just to slip up your hand, just raise up your hand. And when I see it, I'm going to tell you to put it back down. I promise you, I will not embarrass you. Just raise up your hand. Praise the Lord, okay? Hands all over the place. Anybody else? Again, it's not for me. This is for you. I'm going to invite the entire church this morning. We're going to all pray together with with those of you who raised your hands. There's nothing magical about these words because it's not about ritual anymore. It's just about saying yes to Jesus because he's alive and he tore the veil. There's There's no separation anymore. God is here with us right now. I'm going to invite the whole congregation just to pray along in a very simple prayer. And if you raised your hand and you're serious this morning, just pray along with us. And say yes to Jesus. Let's pray this way. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Thank you that you gave your life for me. Thank you that you gave your life for me. Come into my life. Come into my life. Set me free. Set me free. Make me a new person. Make me a new person. On this day, on this day I, ask you I ask you to come into my life. Come into my life. And on this day. Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday I, say, I say yes to you. Yes to you. And so Jesus, so Jesus I welcome you into my life. I want to be in your family and I thank you that I now am. And from this day forward I want to walk with you. I want to live in your reality. So I ask you Make yourself, Make yourself real to me right now. Real to me right Take now. Take away the burden. Take away burden. Take away the guilt. Take away guilt. Take away the shame. Take away shame. And replace it with your love. And replace it with your love. I receive you now. I receive you. As my now. Savior. As my Savior. And my Lord. And my Lord. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning the Bible says some pretty amazing things about this exact event. It says that if you said yes to Jesus, there's just a party going on in heaven. Jesus told some stories about things that were lost. A lost coin, a lost boy, a lost sheep. and all of them, the point was, when people have strayed from God or are separated from God, and God welcomes them back into the family or it welcomes them into the family, it says all the angels in heaven have a party when that happens. So what's happening right now is some of you have said yes to Jesus. There's a big old party going on. And I want you to know something else. There's a big old party going on here today. Because one of the main reasons that we spend all the energy and all the effort to get together and to worship and do all we do is to help each one of us walk into a relationship with Jesus and then walk along the journey together. You know what you'll find at Portview Church? Zero, zero perfect people. Zero. Perfect people. Whereas a whole bunch of people who just said yes to Jesus and are trying to say, God, help us along the way. So if you're from the area and you don't have a home church, you are welcome to be part of our church family. If, you don't, if you're not from the area and you're just visiting, man, find a great church that, that really believes God's word, the Bible. Find, surround yourself with some people that can help you now walk your life out with Jesus. Because that's what it's all about.